Hey, Lizards, Gizmo here. I wanted to share some of the cigars we'll be smoking in May and June, so you can smoke along with us if you'd like. For Cubans, we've got Hoyo de Monterey Double Coronas, Partagas Aliados, H. Upman Half Coronas, and Monte Cristo Open Eagle. And for New Worlds, we've got Davidoff, Winston Churchill, and Bellicoso, Diamond Crown, Julius Caesar, TAA Shark, 2023, Liga Pravada, T52 in Corona Viva, and Davidoff, Late Hour in Robusto, with much, much more to come. Have a suggestion? Email us. Hello at loungelizardspod.com. That's hello at loungelizardspod.com. Our podcast is supported by the Fabrica Five Cigar Company. Straight from the Honduran factory to your hands, the company was built by Rob Isla of Friends of El Habano and Bon Roberts fame and Cuban master blender Hamlet Peretti's. The entire cigar line is blended by Rob and Hamlet and is refined with feedback from a hand-selected tasting panel, the Friends of El Habano Forum, and smokers like you. You can even jump on the FOH Forum right now and post reviews and comments. And you might even hear from Rob or Hamlet when you do. Rob has opened the discount floodgates and now exclusive to Lizard listeners, Fabrica 5 is offering 10% off the entire store. That's all five packs, all 25 count bundles, all 50 count bundles using promo code LIZARDPOD at Fabrica005.com. That's code LIZARDPOD, one word. Plus, worldwide free shipping from Miami on all orders over $125 US. Again, use code LIZARDPOD for 10% off the entire Fabrica 5 store right now. That's Fabrica005.com. Fabrica005.com. You must be 21 years of age or older to order. Fabrica 5. No boxes, no bands, no bullshit. And now, let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Lounge Losers Podcast. It's so good to have you here. It's a leisure and lifestyle podcast founded on our love of premium cigars, as well as whiskey, travel, food, work, and whatever else we feel like getting into. My name is Gizmo, and tonight I'm joined by Rooster, Puba, Senator, and Pagoda. And our plan is to smoke a cigar, drink some wine, talk about life, and of course, have some laughs. So take this as your 48th official invitation to join us and become a card-carrying lounge lizard. Plan to meet us here once a week. We're going to smoke a Cupid cigar tonight, share our thoughts on it, and give you our formal lizard rating. We do a deep dive on all things Romeo, Senator details Stag's Leap's place in Napa history, and we discuss Habanos Essay's plan for their portfolio markers, all among a variety of other things for the next hour. So sit back, get your favorite drink, light up a cigar, and enjoy as we pair Stag's Leap Artemis with the Romeo and Julieta Wide Churchill. Our first Romeo and Julieta on the pod tonight from Cuba is the very, very popular Wide Churchill, a 55 ring gauge by five and an eighth inch cigar. Um, very nicely rolled, tight seams. Who's had this cigar? I, I have not. I have. Yeah. And you like it quite, quite a I bit? I do like it. This is one of the better Romeos, I think, out there. Yeah. I'm, I've always been curious about this because I've had the full-size Churchill. I've had the short Churchill. I haven't had the best experience with either of those, and everyone yeah. has always told me that the wide Churchill is the best bet, so I'm, I'm really curious to yeah, see how this I just haven't had it this young. This is a 21. This is a mid-21 from La Corona Factory. RAT, R-A-T, June 21 is the box code on these. So, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how this goes. I'm, I'm, I, I'm hesitant Given, I think, my and our kind of collective experience with recent Romeos, we could talk about that a little bit. But um, 
I'm optimistic, boys. I like the, I like the gold band on this. Yeah, it's it cool. It, makes it look rich and uh, you know, very classy. Like the red and gold band, and then the extra gold band with the white that says White Churchill on it. Mm-hmm. Really cool. Looks great. All right, let's cut this thing, boys. The Romeo and Julieta, White Churchill from Cuba. Again, it's a 55 ring gauge Robusto, five and an eighth inch long. Our first Romeo on the pod. We haven't done a New World Romeo or a Cuban Romeo yet, so this is the first one we're doing. To Ooh. say this is tightly packed is an understatement. Really? Jesus. My draw is very good. Is yours tight? It, it, it's fine, but I had to take a good amount off to open it up some more. Thankfully, my draw is, is fine. How's, how's everybody else? Is everybody good? Not there yet. Yeah, the cold draws uh, have a lot of resistance, <laughs> yeah. to say the least. It has those classic uh, Romeo flavors, cedar on the cold draw, cherry. Nothing too special, but let's light this thing, boys. Fingers are crossed. So this cigar was originally released in 2010. Again, it's very, very popular. Fairly easy to find. I believe they come in tubes, don't they, too? Yeah. They did it one time. They have a bunch of different packaging. I'll, I'll, I'll go through that in a sec. I'm just toasting the shit out of this foot right now. Wow. Just smell right at the burn line. It, it's a cherry bomb. Yeah. That's what's famous about this Vitola is that cherry note. That's kind of kind of defines uh, the flavor profile of most Romeos, which people chase. Except when it's missing and all you get is a cedar bomb, which just happened to me <laughs> or you, one too many times. Or you can't these. draw it. Yep. Yeah. Very pleasant on the light. I was it's exact what I, I was going to say. It's a very pleasant start here. Yeah. I like the combustion on, on this so far. Yeah, decent amount of smoke output. So, Puba, to answer your question, it comes in a dress box of 10 cigars, a dress box of 25 cigars. And also the display box of 15 aluminum tubes, which are the five cardboard packs right. of three tubes. And I, you know, classic uh, Romeo Tubo uh, yeah. has been replaced. The, uh, you were mentioning you, the first cigar you ever had was a Churchill and a Tubo. Yeah. Which was just the kind of plain silver aluminum with the gold band, correct? Just the gold band. They were so, I remember it being so good. Yeah. I remember where I smoked it. Um, and uh, I smoked that. That that was a cigar that I I gravitated towards. Um, I remember it being at the time being relatively new to cigars. Uh, at the time, I remember it just being so approachable that that Churchill and so smokable. And I was surprised at how you know that this big cigar was so easy to to smoke and so pleasurable. Which it's funny you say that the way I kind of view R and J as a brand, and it's not a brand that I have a ton of in my humidor. Um, I do think, to their credit, if there's one thing they do well, um, all of their cigars are really approachable, and I think helpful to bring people into the fold of cigars. I mean, yeah. even when I think of you know when I literally had my first few cigars and 
just some of even the Dominican stuff they make, like that Reserva Real. It's just like a creamy, mild, you know, very easygoing smoke. It's just, I feel like a lot of their stuff, and then when you graduate to the Cuban line, nothing's aggressive, nothing's a f- overly flavorful. It's all just pretty easygoing stuff that I think anyone would find a way to enjoy. Yeah, it's um, it's enjoyable in a very kind of mellow way, which if you're into Cubans, you can appreciate, I think, the the subtlety of it because this to me doesn't taste like um what was the what was that coava was it a coava what was the one no it was the la cristobal the 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 san cristobal the san cristobal la punta the yeah that was so flat yeah but like it didn't deliver in like an odd way do you know what i mean it was like just so one-dimensional but i feel like there's something going on here at least at the light we'll see how it progresses but there's something more complex happening yeah. The, the aroma coming out of the cigar is very, yeah, it would, very, you know, it's like it's really, a senator really, and you're really po- nice. Yeah. yeah. Really nice. You guys yeah. are on point with that for yeah. sure. I love the aroma. I got to say, I'm really, you know, I know we just lit it, but this so far is a pleasant surprise for me. Absolutely. I do. You know what I was curious about? And I did some research. I didn't find much on it. I'm curious why Habanos released this called the wide Churchill as opposed to a different name for the Vitola. Yeah, like the R&J 54 or something. Exactly. Yeah, like, the, yeah, well, the, they, they also make a short Churchill. Exactly, and that's the and same question. Why, right. you know, is why, it the same why, blend? Why repurpose the Churchill Vitola name if it's not even the same ring gauge? You know, I, yeah. I guess where it would make sense to me is if they kept it the same ring gauge and just shortened it or, or something like that. To me, that would make sense. But to completely change the ring gauge and have the word Churchill in something that's 54 it's, ring gauge is yeah, a lot. It's, it's possible they ran out of names. I mean, there's so many Vitolas. <laughs> well, like they have like 20 of them. That, and also, why not just build off the halo of yeah. the Churchill? They're just, it's an easy out. I mean, look, Habanas SA isn't exactly, you know, bringing it hard with the creativity in terms of, you know, <laughs> branding and shit, you know, anymore. Or it's pricing. Like, or, or, or pricing for that matter. So, I mean, uh, you know, it's probably someone just made an arbitrary decision without a ton of thought that was put into it is what my guess would be. I mean, why do they spell connoisseur wrong on the connoisseur A and the, on the Kanye? <laughs> and they know it's wrong. They, they know still- it's spelled wrong. They're fully aware that it's spelled wrong. It's been widely, but for, for years and years and years, they could just continue. It's like, it's a, you know, no, we will, you know, we're going to do it this way. It's like, well, even if they're doing it wrong. <laughs> the problem is they probably printed a bunch of them. And they're like, we're not going to fix the spelling area until we go through all of the, everything we've printed. No, it's been this way forever. I, th- I think for, since the beginning, wow. they've spelled it wrong. Wow. It's not like they, it was right. And then they made a mistake, stuck with the mistake. It's just been spelled wrong forever. That's Abanos for you. Cuba being Cuba. I wonder how difficult it is to source <laughs> goods in Cuba as well. Right? That's a good point, Talk too. Talk about the supply constraints. Yeah. I like your reasoning. If this keeps up like this, this is a pretty good cigar, man. This is really good. I don't love the ring gauge. I don't love 55 ring gauge cigars, but it's, it's really performing well so far. Yeah. Yeah, my like my draw is a little tight. A little tight. I'm almost contemplating upon using the uh, perfect, perfect draw. draw on this. Yeah. 
Luckily, I'm, I'm, it, this just draws well enough, but man, it's a tightly packed. I mean, even the weight of yeah, this it's, cigar. It's really yeah, it's dense. It's very dense, yeah. Getting some like woody, woody notes, like, you know, a little bit of, I don't know, like dried fruit, leather. Yeah, definitely a lot of cedar, which is classic for Romeo, but like as a first cigar of the day, um, right now, the way this is performing or of the first cigar of the evening, like before you have a ton of food in your stomach or something like this totally like you, I think I mentioned it before and I, I think we had there was a consensus like when you smoke a cigar and you get that feeling you're like, OK, like it starts to relax you immediately. I got that with this. I was like, kind of like, okay, ease back in my seat a little bit. Like, this is pretty. This is this is pretty nice. Well, it definitely grabbed my attention, and you know, immediately. I mean, we were distracted coming in, getting everything set up, and this is kind of taking my energy, my heart. Like, I'm just kind of in the zone now. You know? No. It's definitely brought me there. <laughs> it feels really light, though, in flavor profile. It, it is. is. Woody, it is. cedarish, yeah. but light. Woody and light. So the marca, Romeo y Julieta, was founded, as it says on the band here, in 1875 by an Enosino Alvarez and Manin Garcia. And, of course, it's named after the famous uh, Shakespearean tragedy, Romeo and Juliet. Ooh. So, Pooby, you said that, and I, I remember Grinder mentioning it too, you know, obviously Monte Cristo, some of the other brands and whatnot. Why did... Why did the Cuban manufacturers, why did they call their stuff? Because of the lector, I believe, is the rollers when they would be rolling. And this is, you know, the late part of, let's call it the late part of the 19th century, early part of the 20th century. You would, what was there to, you know, there was no rate, there was no radio uh, to speak of. So in the, um, you know, every time I've been trying to tell a story tonight, either before <laughs> this this broadcast or this recording, or even during, I I got one of the one of the two Indian guys just <laughs> jumping in and breaking breaking up my breaking up my flow. I mean, it was pagoda before, and now it's rooster. Is it the same story going on, or I? <laughs> I told you, stories yeah. never end. Anyway, I, be th I believe it was. Be I, I believe that Romeo and Juliet, the of course the famous <clears throat> Shakespearean tragedy, was read uh, by a lector at, at at some point, and that's why they. <clears throat> and it was probably a favorite of the rollers, just like the Count of Monte Cristo, and some <clears throat> Romeo and Juliet cigars are tragedies. This one is not. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. There are some tragedies in the line. So I, you know, I, I was doing some uh, research about this before the pod tonight. What's cool about the success that this brand has had really came down to the original team that founded it being able to market it so well and find they found uh, exceptionally wealthy people to try the cigars and then they offered them custom bands. So they would personalize bands on the cigars right. and ship them two, 3,000 at a time, these right. wealthy folks who would then hand them out to friends. So that's really what helped them 
get a jump start. And yeah. this is in you know the early 1900s. Yeah, Upman did a little bit of that too. Um, they would do contract uh, pre-embargo, of course. They would do contract, um, you know, contract batches where they'd banned cigars that had the name of a bank on them or something. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Or the name of a business or or something. They would. I've seen some of those come up um, on the internet here and there, and you're like, what's this Upman band? The Cuban Upman band that I've never seen before. Well, it's a one of these corporate personalized personalized things kind of a contract deal pretty amazing obviously the most uh well-known lover of romeo and, uh, and julieta cigars was sir winston churchill which obviously that vitola is named after him and this wide churchill also may be named after him uh but uh so his cigar the the main churchill I want to talk a little bit about that because I've just not had great experiences with that cigar. The, the Romeo and Julieta, the Cuban Churchill. I've had some Churchill. nice experiences and I've had some not so nice experiences and I've had inconsistency and I think that Senator has too. Yeah, Senator and I had a very similar box. I think, what was it, mid-2020 we got? Well, even before that box, so the, the first one of those I had was from Grindr. Uh, we were actually sitting here um, at, at my lounge and he had given me one and I hadn't had the Churchill before and it was a cherry bomb like we were describing kind of the aroma that you get on this wide Churchill and to me it was just so unique I never really get that out of a Cuban and so I was thrilled with the cigar I sourced a box it was a UEB 2018 box it's a good coat Puba ended up getting the same one right after me box. and then I think Gizmo got a similar one yep. and I mean UEB I mean, UEB, I've never had a single bad box. I mean, it's a great code. And so, and it had some age on it. It's not like it was a fresh cigar. Right. So I had really expected greatness out of this box. And maybe a couple of them I had were pretty good. And the rest, severe draw issues. I mean, some of the worst I've ever had with a cigar. And um, I remember getting down to the very end of that box and it was actually in here and I just got so frustrated. I've never done this with a cigar. I hopefully never will, but I couldn't get it to draw and I just snapped the cigar in half and just threw it out. I mean, I just couldn't. Deal I remember with it. that picture. Yeah. It was, was that the, Churchill. Yeah. Yeah. So I got a box of aged 2013s that the same thing. They just would not burn, would not smoke. Some would not draw. And then I gave one to my friend Puba over here, who took about three puffs of it, of my aged 2013 <laughs> Churchill, and then immediately put it down in the ashtray and said, fuck this. I'm done. That was a in, the, in the lounge that didn't like Cubans. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. yeah we're, getting, we're getting shit for smoking Cubans in a lounge that didn't want to smoke in Cubans. That was a terrible cigar. <laughs> I mean, I, now, I've had some great... I've had some really nice uh, Churchills, uh, but most of my memory of them were the older ones that uh, I smoked when we were, when I was young, you know, not, they had them at the golf club, you know, they have Cuban cigars, they sell Cuban cigars there, and um, they had them at the club, and like, that's, that's where I, and I would just go and get them from the shoe attendant, you know what I mean? So, and you could smoke at this time in the club, like, in the restaurant area. Yeah. Um, back when that thing was not frowned upon, and it was a men's only grill, by the way. 
Just saying. <laughs> Senator, I know, would love that. The uh, men only, no women allowed. The grill. In the men's grill. Now, those, those rules have subsequently been brought you know, up to date. Uh, but you could, and they, and they had them down there. So they kept them in tubes, and I always got them in the tube because uh, the humidor in the locker, men's locker room wasn't exactly um, kept the best, so the tube was a safe way to go. You know, and I really wasn't familiar with the other brands. They, they would have Monty 2s in there and some Cohibas from time to time. Now, are you talking about Cubans or? Yeah, Cuban cigars. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was a member at Augusta. <laughs> well, the locker room attendant, the head locker room attendant's from Cuba. Oh, all right. No, I was wondering. I, I was hoping it wasn't the Romacraft, you know. Mm -mm. <laughs> but that was my first experience with with Romeo. Was that aluminum Churchill, uh, or the tube, and I, and it was nice. I mean, uh, just so pleasant to smoke. So I don't know if you know, but they did away with those tubes. They replaced them with a more modern red and white. So the, the kind of classic aluminum silver tube uh, has been replaced across right, the entire with, line. Right, with, with, the, with, with the red the white, and white. Right, with the red and white. Well, they didn't, this, this cigar was, didn't have those. It just had a gold band on it. Yep. Yeah, it didn't have the red and white. Yeah. So what's interesting about that, too, is that unlike some of the other Vitolas that Habanos shares with, uh, the New World uh, maker of the Cuban marcas, uh, you know, a lot of Cuban marcas are made for uh, American consumption without Cuban tobacco. What's interesting is that the Romeo y Julieta band is very similar, almost identical to the band that you find on the New World Romeos. Mm, yeah, it looks, it looks it's, very it's, similar. It's very, very close. Now, obviously, the cigars are very different. Most of it, I think, is Dominican tobacco, but... Um, I've had a couple of those. Those are not worth writing home about, that's for sure. Mm. They're definitely making their success on the name of the brand. Yeah, I have to say, I mean, Romeo, to me, they're pretty inconsistent. Oh, yeah. You, know, you get, like, out of the box, maybe you'll get a few good ones, and, you know, mostly, mostly they're plugged or they don't, not a lot of flavor. But this White Churchill so far, I mean, it's burning good. Nice, you know, nice tight ash. That's good. I'm not, I'm not having any issues with mine. So I, we don't need to go through them, but it, it's amazing to me how many Vitolas this, this global brand of Habanos has. I mean, it's, as you're going through, I mean, there must be 20 or 25. Yeah. You know, probably, I think that this, uh, this marca has the most current, regular production cigars of any of the of the cubans uh the cuban markers i would i would bet quite a bit of money on that uh most recently the most the, the most recent one that's had a lot of uh notoriety around it i don't know if you guys have seen it uh but it's the dianas have you guys seen those yeah popping up yeah, yeah. so I, that, that's I pretty didn't you get a box oh that's and right you got a box sell it noblest <sighs> the noblest yep did you smoke yeah. it or did you just get no, rid, of rid of it why yeah. Um, it needed a, it needed to sit for a long time and I think the packaging and stuff was great, but I don't think the cigars, everybody who smoked was like, eh, it's okay. Yeah. You know, it's got to sit for a number and same, you know, it's, a, it's true with a lot of Romeos. I got to sit for a while, long time. Yeah, it comes in a 10 count box, really, really like novel luxury box. 
Yeah, I mean, they're going, they're going for a lot of money right now. A lot now. of money. Yeah, what, what are they, a cigar, 70 bucks a cigar? No, I, I, when I got it, it was a box of 20, I think. There, was, there were three different sizes. I think it's the Nobles, Hidalgo's, yep. and uh, there's one other Dianas, one. Diana's. Diana's. Hidalgo's and Nobles. Yeah, I think I got the Nobles. And uh, when I got it, it, I paid like 450 for a box. And they're going for like 800 900 wow. now for And for $900 for 20 steaks and you got to set like five years. Yeah, not worth it. And especially for a Vitola, or excuse me, a Marca that we've had such hit or miss experiences with. Yeah. You know. Well, did they taste like really fresh? I I never tried it. Oh. You know. So I just moved the box. Got it. But every single review that I have, not a review, but anybody who, you know, anybody who has posted a review, they've all said it needs to sit for a while. So, boys, let's talk about our wine pairing tonight. The Stag's Leap Artemis. Stag's Leap Artemis. What's the year on this, Puba? Do you know? It's 2019. 2019. So I drink a lot of this wine. I really like Artemis. Um, I'm not a wine connoisseur like Senator, so I'm not going to take the lead on this discussion. But I do like it quite a bit. I think it's a great staple. I was actually really glad when Puba picked this up. Given the cigars got some fruit-forward notes, we're talking about cherry I feel like if there's a stick that pairs well with wine, this is probably, you know, toward the top of that list. Um, Stag's Leap is just, I think, just has probably one of the coolest brand histories of any vineyard in in all of Napa. Um, And I say that because they're famous for, in 1976, um, their wine beat the top French Bordeaux in the 1976 Judgment of Paris, which is what put Napa on the map and Stag's Leap as a district within Napa. So um, they arguably are responsible for, you know, Napa's surge into the, the global wine market. So um, I think they always have a, they've cemented their place in, in kind of wine history. And I think the stuff they make today um, is still pretty good. Um, the funniest part, I think, of the story with them is just the name. I think for so many years, uh, you know, we've we've consumed this, and then there's the that white label Stag's Leap bottle that we all see. Um, at similar a, font, similar font. You're exactly right. And they're, um, a more accessibly priced. And I think it's easy to assume that maybe the white label is the more accessibly priced and then their higher end stuff has this sort of beige or tan label and they've got a whole bunch of different things. Um, but they're actually two completely different vineyards. And the story behind this to me is just ridiculous because I think the legal resolution to this did not achieve what they thought it would, um, in that basically after, Stag's Leap with the apostrophe before the S, what we're drinking, won the Judgment of Paris in 76. It put them on the map. They became all of a sudden this big global name. And this other vineyard that happened to be founded in exactly the same year, also in Stag's Leap, that called itself Stag's Leap, started to benefit from all this fame that this Stag's Leap vineyard was getting. So Stag's Leap that we're drinking with the apostrophe before the S they sued the other Stag's Leap saying that we want to be the sole, we, we have the sole claim to this name and they're, uh, you know, benefiting from the fame that we've achieved. The case went all the way up to the California Supreme Court. Wow. Which is crazy. Who ruled that since both were founded in the exact same year and in that year, each produced bottles labeled with that name, neither had a claim to be the first 
So the judge thought that if what we're drinking, they put the apostrophe before the S <laughs> and the other vineyard put the apostrophe after the S on stags, that that would sufficiently differentiate the brand so there would be no confusion for the consumer, Right. which is absolutely it's so ridiculous. ridiculous. <laughs> it's, it's, it's totally ridiculous. And the funny thing is, is that the, the white label, let's call it apostrophe after the S, is a pretty good wine. Yes. And, 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 and yeah, it's more like $45 a bottle, not 62 uh, like this bottle is, but it's, 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 it's good as well. But it's, it's, for the listener, it's great table conversation because everyone knows that, well, not everyone, but most people, if you drink wine at all, even just casually, you know, you have a couple staples on a wine list that you can go to. This is one of them in a restaurant where it's like, if you're faced with, I need something that's really, that's serviceable, that's like relatively moderately priced, Stag's Leap, either the white label or separate vineyard or this Stag's Leap apostrophe before the S, the Artemis, um, which I think is, I really like. Um, either one is, is, is a great call for for a table of, of friends. The, the funny thing is, I assume that there must be so much animosity between these two vineyards because personally, if I owned this vineyard, I'd be really pissed off that you have someone else masquerading with the same name that hasn't achieved the, the level of fame that we have that's clearly benefited over years' time from it. Right. But apparently, after the lawsuit was settled, owners of both properties became good friends, and in 1985, they released a vintage of Cab with an equal percentage of grapes from each vineyard, <laughs> and they named the bottle Accord, like ah. their agreement. Well, you know what? And where was the apostrophe? That's cool. <laughs> That's a good question, actually. You know, both winemakers, both vineyards, both makers, are they make good wine. So th yeah. they're going to benefit from, it's like they've been putting out the white label stuff. Okay, it's, 50, it's, it's a little bit cheaper. They make, I believe, higher end stuff too and do limited release things as well. And I, and I think for the region, it just benefits probably, at the end of the day, it probably benefits both of them. And the story makes it so interesting. Like, I'm sure I, I didn't visit Stag's Leap when I was in Napa years and years ago, but I'm sure people who go and visit the, visit the winery, they, they want to go, well, let's go see both. Totally. <laughs> Totally. Because of it. So the only thing I'll say, I actually don't love that either of them has that name. And I just say that that is a region. It's a wine growing district within Napa. I hate that there are times I'll have people over and I mean, almost any cab that's grown in Stag's Leap, especially in a state grown Stag's Leap cab, is going to be a fantastic bottle of wine. And there's a zillion vineyards there that make grapes produced in Stag's Leap and it says, you know, Napa and then Stag's Leap district underneath it. And I'll say to someone like, oh, I've got a, you know, a great Stag's Leap cab. We're going to pair with them. They're like, oh, Stag's Leap. I love that brand. That's one of my favorite. No, no, no. I, I, it's not that brand. I just mean it's, it's the from one the region. with the apostrophe. And so I just don't love that there's that confusion that like they've kind of claimed the whole region when there are actually a zillion vineyards that right. grow in Stag's Leap. And, and so I'm not a fan of the confusion. Nonetheless, they make great wine. So hey. Like, 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 like Ricky Bobby says, if you ain't first, you're last. <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting, though. It, you know, let, let, let's say you're the stag's leap with the apostrophe before the S that makes the Artemis we're drinking tonight, right? That won the court case and everything. I mean, w with how successful they've been, why not try to acquire the other? Like, 
Why not make a move to eliminate the confusion, own the brand name, get the vineyard, get yeah. the grapes, get the, like, if it's good enough, you know, why not try to fix it or improve it? It's funny. So each was actually bought by a big conglomerate at some point. So the stag sleep with the apostrophe before the S, the one we're drinking, was bought by uh, Chateau Saint-Michel and, and someone. It's like a joint venture. It's, they're huge. They own like a zillion different brands. And then some other holding company I'm not familiar with bought Stag Sleep with the apostrophe after. So each is now actually owned by a huge conglomerate. Got but it. none wanted for some reason to try to acquire both. Yeah, I mean, is, is this the the wine that we had at that Italian restaurant? It's exactly right. We were right. we had a great um, sort of cigar night among a bunch of us uh, members at uh, another lounge of ours, and um, of course we were trying to find a wine to have. So they handed me the wine list, and this for me is a bottle of wine that at any stage of your kind of wine journey, it's impossible not to like. And so I had ordered this, and everyone really loved it. We had but a great I, night. But I remember the price. At the restaurant, which should be like a lot more than you know what you guys pay today, it was like sixty. 60 no, 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 it wasn't. It was a hundred something. Oh, it was. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah it's it was hundred thirty, right? It was about double. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was. What really frustrates me, though, you know, there used to be this hard fast rule that usually wine in restaurants is about double the price that you would pay. Not retail. anymore. It, it, that's where I'm going. Yeah. Not anymore. I have seen a perfect example. I was in Boston last week. We went to a steakhouse one night, and I saw this on there. Now, this wasn't my first choice just because it was a really nice meal. I wanted something really special for that. I was looking at, like, different different bottles, not this. However, I look at the price on this bottle of wine. It was 200 and something dollars. Oh, wow. I'm sitting there saying for a $60 bottle, how, how do you get away charging that? I mean, Christ. I'm, uh, we, that, we the, just same, gotta... the same way you charge, sorry, the same way they charge... $18 for Brussels sprouts. I, mean, you know. <laughs> I saw, you know, that the, the Cabernet we bought, the Jordan, uh, we, we, you found that deal. I don't know if it was 40 bucks at the end of the day or whatever, 45. Maybe that bottle's normally what, 50, 55? It's normally 55. Okay, yeah. so I've been to two or three restaurants over the last few months looking. Again, I'm not a connoisseur, so I only know a few names that you've kind of turned me, you guys have turned me on to. That Jordan bottle was like 175. Yeah. It's a vanity, but it's for again. That's got a brand name, Jordan. Sure. You know that people recognize, and you can just you can not know shit about wine and just be like, oh, I'm going to get a bottle of Jordan. It's but like that, ordering a bottle of Camus. That's yeah. what I was going to say. Yeah, I mean, Camus there's so the many. Camus, yeah. Silver Oak, Jordan. I mean, right. all these vineyards. Right. Mandavi. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so you know they. You, you, comes with the brand name but i think you know there's a, that's a separate conversation i think around trying to find value in wine i you know there, there's stuff out there but you got to do your work and you got to do your research and you got to drink wine and know what you like to try and find value absolutely it's a whole 100%. other it's a whole other world um so quickly on this i'm just curious have you guys had what experiences have you had with the different vintages of this wine have you found different years to be better than others? Yeah, so I'll just say this. Uh, this is almost a universal rule for Napa. 2016, in the last decade, arguably even in the last two decades, was such a phenomenal year. Like when I told you about that Schaefer Hillside Select 2016, Amazing. that vintage, it's so hard to beat. It's unbelievable. 
I've had this 2016 before. I'm out of it now. I've drank through it all, but outstanding, outstanding. So I would say 16 for sure. That's a that's a diehard fact that 16 is in just Adonai across Napa. the board, across yeah. the fucking Napa. Board. perfect growing conditions. I mean, these vineyards just had a field. It was so perfect for bold Napa calves. Yeah, it's it really was. I I, I drank a lot of 2016. Napa Cabernet um, because a colleague of mine and close friend went to Napa and he literally right around that time and had cases and cases and cases of the most crazy shit that goes for four times, five times the fucking price right now. Yep. That, that, and we drank it all. (laughs) Another thing I was going to mention just on Stag's Leap, this vineyard, so most of us in this room have had the, uh, the Artemis. But if you want, uh, I, I think a treat, I think something that is probably one of their best bottles and not at a crazy price point, um, the Stag's Leap SLV. It's, uh, the SLV stands for uh, Stag's Leap Vineyard. Those grapes are from their Stag's Leap Vineyard. These grapes are actually not all from Stag's Leap. Really? They're not. Wow. They're all from Napa. But it's a blend of cab grapes from different parts of Napa. Some of it, I'm sure, is from Stag's Leap, but not the whole thing. It's not 100% Stag's Leap cab. Mm. Their SLV bottle is 100% Stag's Leap cab, and it's awesome. That's great. Good to know. It's like a Stag's Leap Puro. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so we're about halfway through here, boys, on the Romeo and Julieta wide Churchill. Mm-hmm. I'm really enjoying this. Very elegant. Very smooth smoke, and I think it has carried what you were saying early, Puba, about it's not, there's not a, it's not kicking you around. There's some real nice, subtle flavors there, though. Yeah. It, it's, it's not, um, I mean, I guess what it's lacking, you know, it, it lacks a little bit of, of power. Um, where at this point in the cigar, I maybe would like to see it develop a little bit more. Um, but nothing offensive here. There's nothing. It's 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 giving me enough, um, but it's very light. It's a good good morning smoke. Yeah, morning, yeah after, early afternoon. I don't feel much at all. It's been relatively, you know, somewhat the same for me. And after having a couple of sips of wine, I think the wine just overpowers some of the flavors. Yeah. I'll say this. I to me, I, I wouldn't have this in the morning. Um, and this is very unique to my palate, what I'm about to say. The the reason I'm not a huge R and J fan, I really don't enjoy cigars that are very cedar forward I or agree. cedar heavy. Yeah. It's like a real aversion to me. For some reason, I just don't like too much of that flavor. If I get a little cedar in a cigar, it's expected. That's really nice. When it's one of the dominant notes. I just don't like it. And so for me, um, I get a lot of cedar in this. And that is something that uh, with a coffee in the morning, it's just not, it would clash for me that early. So this would be more an afternoon, uh, early evening stick like we're having right now. But I, I wouldn't necessarily reach for this. In yeah, the I'm not getting a lot of cedar in this. I'm getting uh, some, but not a whole lot. I was getting more at the start than I am now. It's woody. You yeah. know what's funny about you saying that? The, another Vitola that uh, Romeo makes, that uh, the Cedros Deluxe, which is very, very popular. It's a cigar that's, I think it's unbanded. 
that's stuck in a cedar. I don't want to call it a tubo. Shield. It's like a it's shield. like a shield or a, oh yeah. It's almost like a sheath, like a like a yeah. A number of sticks yeah. like that. Yeah, and and talk about cedar forward. That's a major cedar bomb. I avoid that cigar like the plague. Well, the funny thing is, we're, we're smoking the from this Churchill line that R and J has. The short Churchill to me is a cedar bomb. I did not love the short Churchill. Yeah. I think of these three of the short Churchill the, now the wide and the the regular Churchill we've all had. The short is the most cedar forward, and I'm not sure where would you put this in the other Churchill, the, the full Churchill, which which is more cedar forward to you? I would say, I mean, I just, I honestly, I just haven't had great experiences with the regular Churchill that I could even sit here and call out great flavor notes, or I, I've never had like a stunning experience with that cigar. For me, I would put this. I would say the short Churchill's got the most cedar, then this, and then the regular Churchill. But that's my yeah, probably true. But I, th I think like most of these Romeos have to sit for a while, and and like sure. the flavor is going to change. I have a box that I've smoked maybe about half a box. It was a box of ten, and it's a 2015 box. Very different. I mean, it's flavors like similar flavors, but more complex, more intense. A lot more dried cherry notes. A lot more leather. A uh, little bit more, like Puba said, power or oomph. Like it's got more of that. Right. So, but it, it, it really it, delivers. Yeah, I mean because it, it's. I mean, it's tastier. It's the I'm you know? yeah. With the, the age will do that, but generally speaking, a Romeo always. They 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 always want me. They leave me wanting a little bit more. You're kind of saying to yourself, uh, "This isn't previewing to me where five years from now it's going to be like turn into something so dynamic that it doesn't have the kind of complexity um, or the potential for complexity." deep complexity that like a partigas or a part like a partigas robusto yeah, has no, nothing like or, a or, 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 or like an upman robusto or 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 it just doesn't have those things going on there's not multiple things happening it's a little bit flat yeah. it is no it's like the same or similar flavors that you're getting now but they're a little bit more intense a little bit more bolder right. a little bit deeper like you know like the same similar flavors but they're just a little deeper. Yeah. But it's not powerful. It's not. It's not like a D four. It's not like an eight nine eight. You won't get that. Yeah. I mean, my Epi twos. I have some some aged Epi twos. They deliver more power than this. You know, um, more complexity. If if we were to, you know, put them head to head, it's a good cigar. I mean, it's really there's nothing wrong with it, and it's. It's not like an empty suit, like the San Cristobal. <laughs> right. We the had La was. Yeah. The La Punta, with the La Punta. I mean, punt that thing in the lake. Yeah, it was horrible. To, to write me personally, loungelizardspod. Dot at what is it? It's <laughs> loungelizardspod at gmail dot Loungelizardspod at gmail, and you can if you like the La Punta, blast them. You, you know, you can blast me. But I'd throw that box in the lake. It yeah, was, it, it was not good. So, it, you know, it's not that flat, but it's just kind of a woody. It, 
it's mine's performed well. See, I would argue that the La Punta, it, to me, is just a bad cigar. Whereas I just don't think that this sits in really any of our flavor profiles. Maybe yeah, if Grinder were here, I think that he would be loving this cigar right now, would be my expectation. Uh, I just don't think for the five of us that are here that this is just in our wheelhouse at all. I, I love the way you said that because I, I feel the same way. There's nothing wrong with this cigar. I think Pooba was saying that as well. Um, it's just not necessarily the ideal flavor profile or a, an ideal level of, of flavor or power, whatever it's you want to call it. It's not the sugar and spice and everything nice that, like, you like. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, it doesn't give you that. Well, I'm being serious. No, I know you the, are. The, but, it's, but it's not like, oh, this has dessert flavors, but it's also got, like, ooh, there's some pepper. And, like, or it, it doesn't, it's kind of just, it's a, it's a bit one-dimensional right. from my palate. Agreed. It just doesn't really bring that complexity that I, that I kind of chase. And then I, and maybe that's not the, by the way, and maybe that's too high of an expectation. Maybe this cigar isn't supposed to do that. It's not designed to do that. And there's an audience for this cigar Yeah. that, that clearly that, you know, that makes it as popular as it is. Yeah, I'm sure there is. The only thing yeah, just for me, I'm, I'm, I'm sad is that for a brand as storied as R and J I have yet to find a single R&J that I want a box of in my humidor, and it's just... And let me add something else here. Disappointing. To your point, these cigars are going anywhere between 22 and 28 bucks a cigar. That's outrageous. It's an outrageous for this I, cigar. I'm going to go so late, far. Lately. Yeah, wait. Right, well, lately. now, yeah. I mean, if, yeah. if somebody listening to this pod is listening to these notes we're calling out saying, that's a cigar I think I want to chase... You're gonna pay between you know twenty two, twenty four, yeah. thirty bucks for this thing. Yeah, they used to be like fifteen. Yeah, or even less than that. Yeah, I mean, what's sad is I would rather smoke, and I'm picking like <laughs> as every day a stick as we've reviewed. I would rather smoke that Arturo Fuente uh, the signature. The signature that was a great cigar well, this, over this. Yeah. I really would. I mean, they're both like mild yeah. cigars, but I prefer the flavor profile of that far more than I do. This. Yeah. It's giving you more. Yep. And, and it's some, but again, depending on what you like, maybe more isn't what you want. And if a little bit less is what you want, this mine's performed really well. Mine it's too. burned well. The role, the construction was good. The burn was really good. The combustion was perfectly nice. So it, those things can, you know, the, it, it, it's it's a good cigar. It just, I need more. Yeah, I agree with you. The only thing I do want to flag, so I agree that uh, it's burned well. Um, the construction looks good. Really good. Uh, the only problem I do have I think the draw is a bit too resistant. And why I'm especially sensitive to this is I think with a 54 ring gauge cigar, it's actually really important that it is not too resistant. Yep. If this were a smaller ring gauge, I could live with that. But when you've got this big ring gauge cigar, you know, I compare this, I think of a QD 54, I think of a Partagas E2. Usually the draw on those is very open. Sure. And you're so, like a chimney. Yeah. You're like a chimney. And also yeah. just because it's such a large cigar, you know, that you're, you're drawing from each time. You don't have to be sitting there sucking away at this giant cigar to get it to perform. You're, you're just able to sit back, just, you know, lightly puff on your cigar and you're just having such a great experience. For me, I'm not enjoying how much I'm having to draw to get yeah. combustion. I'm sorry about that because I didn't have the same experience with okay. my, with my draw. Yeah. My draws 
perfect, actually. Interesting. My my draw is comparable but to it's the same old story. Or 2D exactly. This is the same old story with goes with back Romeo. to the point. Yeah. You know, inconsistency. I mean, out of the five cigars we just two. smoked, two yeah. or two are good and yeah. three are kind of a little tight. I mean, exactly. I'm getting some tunneling, but that could be a condition thing. Um, you know, and I'm not smoking slow. But like the wrapper isn't keeping up with the filler as much as I'd like, but who knows why that is. It's because Gizmo's humidor is fucking not calibrated, probably. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's a joke. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I you do dry, have a... You dry box these for like I days, did. I dry boxed them for like four days in like 45% humidity just to make this, sure. This must be fake because the... The, the band, band came right the off? band came right off. Yeah, I gave you a fake one. I just wanted to test you. So I, want, I did want to say just a quick uh, lizard alert for the folks out there. We're traveling. I just did some traveling. I think all of us have done some traveling recently. And, you know, I've always found it challenging. And I know, I think uh, Senator spoke about this when we discussed his uh, trip to Greece. That what I've found traveling with Cubans um, is it, it becomes especially challenging when you're going to a, especially a humid place. Uh, like I, I was in Florida. Uh, that even when I've traveled in the past and kept things with 62 bovidas, because I like my Cubans around 62. I think we all do. Uh, that the 62 Bovidas didn't actually keep the cigars that well. So this trip, I went and I actually purchased a, a four-pack of uh, 58% Bovidas on Amazon. And it was a remarkable difference for me in the experience I had smoking these cigars in Florida outside. Yeah, but the, but the, uh, but the problem is, like, I was in Atlanta, and it was so humid outside. Yeah. So no matter what, you kept the cigars in, in your travel humidor, or in a bag or whatever, yeah. when you sit outside, I mean, the cigar just burns weird. Yeah. So you're better off smoking like New World, you know, Davidoffs and Padrones that are a little bit less resistant to humidity. Well, yeah. I, I was actually going to ask is, uh, did you also store like New Worlds, like Padrones at that as well? And did those smoke great? Or? No, I actually, so I also brought my Padrones and whatnot down. Normally I travel with a 65. I traveled with a 62 for my New Worlds and those smoke brilliantly as well. So obviously, I smoked, I smoked more New Worlds outside than I did uh, Cubans, to, to Rooster's point. Uh, but when I went to uh, a lounge that I found there, I went a couple times. I had a RAS. I had two D4s. I had a, uh, a Monte Cristo number two. Uh, and they were performing wonderfully. Whereas in times past, when I've traveled with a 62 or 65, they did not. So I don't know. It just worked a lot better for me traveling with a 58. And I think it's also nice, too, for folks out there who who maybe have a humidor situation that's not uh, that they can't monitor a lot. Maybe they work a lot. They can't watch it. I think dry boxing at 58 is really good too. So if you know you're planning the smoke, you know, in the upcoming weekend, throw the cigars in a dry box with a 58. I think it's going to really help your, uh, help your humidity situation. So that's just a little lizard alert on my constant pursuit of humidity regulation. Perfection. Perfection. So, um, the other thing I wanted to ask you guys, I saw that uh, Habanos is going to be uh, taking a look at their, let's call, ignored Marcus. So Marcus like uh, K. Dorsey, El Rey Del Mundo, Vegas Robania, and they're actually going to be starting with Diplomatico. So we're talking about the Vitolas, not the global brands like the one we're smoking now, but uh, you know, not Partagas, Upman, et cetera, that have a ton of Vitolas. We're talking those with the, the Marcus that in the early 2000s, mid-2000s, you know, 2010s, had a lot of stuff canceled. They're revisiting those. They're going to be introducing a lot of 
uh, cigars in the coming years, starting with Diplomatico, I believe, in 2024. So my question to you guys, and I think this is interesting because I'm, I'm curious if we have different answers. If you were to pick a couple Vitolas, let's say for Diplomatico, El Rey Del Mundo, Vegas Robania, we obviously know what the answer is going to be on that. We discussed it on the Vegas Robania pod with the Classico. But what Vitolas would you like to see Habanos introduce on some of these ignored lines? Well, what two. You, There's two. This is so easy for me. For me, it's very easy. I'm curious uh, if well, more Lonsdales at. and a Churchill. That's yep. all I want. Absolutely. I agree. I would say Lanceros, too. That's a nice to have, but for me, not a need to have. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's like anything in a 46 wing gauge is perfect. And a lot of times, you know, like, like the Lonsdales are, you know, like an Upman 46. Yeah. Just perfect size. Yeah, 46 is great. I like 44, 42 yeah. as well. Lonsdale all day. And, you know, we talked about the Churchill, the Romeo Churchill tonight. That's one of three Churchills that Habanos has in its regular production right now, alongside the Upman, Sir Winston, and the uh, Cohiba Esplendido. There's only three. I think the leaf for a cigar, the caliber of a Sir Winston, that getting that leaf, the wrapper leaf, is is what sets that that wrap. Not that the filler in the in the the ratio of tobacco that they put in that cigar isn't exemplary it is yeah as well in the binder but the i think getting the the right wrapper leaf for those is the rate limiting factor on not having more um to a certain degree you know in and rolling them i believe is in rolling lonsdales um you know i think it's probably a little bit more difficult than rolling a robusto you know um, maybe that's some of the production factor you know, there's a production, they only have so much capacity across all the provincial factories and, and these mother factories. There's only so much capacity, so they have to, and there's only so many rollers who can roll certain sizes. I, I, it's not like every roller does everything great yeah. all the time. So obviously based on what we see here today. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think the demand so, is more towards bigger ring gates. And the demand is, yeah. you're I, I right, that's 100%. It, to be that's honest. where they're going to go, I think. I, I'm not convinced that a Lonsdale is difficult yeah, to roll not, at it all. It shouldn't be that difficult. Uh, to. I think it's got to be that like a Robusto is, is going to fly off the shelves in a way that Lonsdales are not when you're thinking of True. some markets. And I, I think it's probably more a marketing decision. And True. I, I think Cabanos, my guess of what they're actually going to do is they're going to do a lot of petite Coronas. And they're going to do a lot of big ring gauge stuff. No, uh, to that effect, the reason this cigar is also called the White Churchill is because of the demand for the wider ring gauge. Yeah, the, in the American market especially. Yeah, so um, right. apparently the leaves come from the same region uh, where the original 7x47 uh, Churchill was named, yeah. Hmm. Gotcha. So I have a question because I, I just need to know what I'm supposed to pray for tonight. <laughs> Uh, you mentioned bringing back discontinued Vitolas. Does it mean that it is possible that the Classicos could return? I, my argument to that would be a probably not, simply because what I think they're going to do is I think they're just going to add more product. My guess is that the Classico seed, whatever blend, whatever stuff they were using to make that thing, if they did bring it back, my argument would be it'd be far different than it was when they canceled it 15 years ago. I mean, it's a certain possibility that they would bring it back. I just don't see it happening. 
I mean, I'm fine if it's not even identical. I just, it, it's a Lonsdale. I yeah. love the shape. So yeah. that already checks the box. And I think Robania, they, they make some great stuff. So, you know, even if it's not, I, I, I know it will not be that exact. We also have heavily aged a box. Of course, of, that, so of course. It'll never compete. But for a regular production stick, if I could get something even half as satisfying as that Classicos, I'd be all in on buying a box. Well, right. Yeah. It, and, and it's like the 898 is is such a great smoke. It, the Lonsdale delivers just such a great experience, um, you know. But but you, you, I mean, you guys are right. The uh, the the point I was making about the Churchills with the leaf is it it's a different kind of point. I mean, it's why you don't like double Coronas. Sometimes are hard to source. Lucitane Lucy's are sometimes they come and they go. Yeah, there was a time. There was a time when you know. They were very difficult to find. Um, so same with double Coronas. They were not, they're not like ubiquitous. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. In terms of supply. So the, the only one I've seen actually uh, double Corona that's kind of been popping up a lot is oh, the, is oh, the yeah. Hoyo. Yeah. Yeah. The, the others really haven't. I, I, I haven't seen much of uh, Gigantes. I haven't seen much Lucy, especially in a 50 cab. They're gone. Punch, punch, double the, Coronas. The punch. I haven't seen much of those come up either. I've seen some age stuff come up, but but nothing, you know, fresh right. or on, on regular retail. So right. I just feel like Cabanos is going to go for small sticks because I think they can charge a little bit more from a, you know, call it a, a price per gram. More pot, way more popular. Only certain connoisseurs like a double Corona. Absolutely. Too. I mean, and I think they're going to go for big ring gauge stuff like this that we have in our hand. Yeah. You can, know, while we're on the topic of Habanos SA, yeah. can we talk about pricing for a second? Yes. Again? Oh, I think we have to revisit it. never ends. Again. And the reason I say that, we had a lengthy discussion about what the impact would be on raising prices, particularly for Cohiba and Trinidad, at really ridiculous rates relative to the other uh, brands. I am astounded. I think... Our consensus at the time we had that discussion was that in the short term, these crazy prices on Cohiba and Trinidad would not deter buyers in the Asian market that would still just stock up and hoard like we've usually seen. But over the long run, our concern was more about how in the future, they actually may shrink their consumer bases. There are not many people who at a younger age in their you know early 20s are going to be able to drop that kind of money on these boxes and so we were more worried about the long-term impact i'm astounded all these months later that if you look on i have i have ns.com we've told obviously lizards uh, a good source for some cubans if you click the cohiba page every regular production cohiba is just sitting there not being bought yep. they I have never seen on any of these sites a box of Bahikes ever, personally. Maybe some of you have. I have not. I've only seen that through like a private seller type source. I've not seen you just go to iHave or Cigar Terminal and just a box of Bahikes is sitting there that no one has claimed and bought. They have Bahikes. They have Esplendidos. They have the Cohiba Robusto. They have every Siglo. Yeah. I mean, it is wild. So I yeah. think Habanos made a really bad bet. And I think the timing of them increasing prices could not have been worse. I agree with you 100%. With inflation, we're talking about a recession. I mean, people, it doesn't matter how much money you have. People are not spending the level of disposable income that you would see in normal times. And so 
I think this is proving to be a very stupid move on Habano's essay's part. It may, it may very well be. Bad timing, I think. You know, yeah. It's yeah. a big part. Yeah, yeah, because, the, I mean, I think when they instituted this, um, the contraction of, of the, the economy really wasn't taking place. Um, and, Europe, you know, Europe is getting hit hard. Um, and, you know, this, in North America, we're getting hit hard. So... Um, the Asian market's different for all the obvious reasons. Um, so who knows, you know, you could be, your hypothesis could be true. I I think we talked about it a little, you know, that could be a possibility. Is this price, you know, is this pricing really going to be sustainable? Um, good question because when you throw the taxes on top, in the European market, boy, oh boy, you're talking a crazy multiple on, on 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 a box of Cohiba or Trinidad, and and you know they're very very few people. There's not a lot of people, in, in you know, and we buy a lot of cigars, but there's you know you buy a, a twenty three hundred dollar box of smokes. I mean, how many? No matter who you are, you're kind of saying, ah. Eh, Am I just gonna plow through these like on a, on on the on the daily? Like, are you gonna just maybe tuck them away? And plus, a lot of you know the Cohibas need to lay down for a while to that's, really hit their peak. That's what I was gonna say. Spending so, twenty eight fifty on a box of Churchills from Cohiba that are fresh that need at least five years, maybe arguably seven or ten, to really reach their, their maturation. Peak right? You know, it's they're their perfect yeah. level. That, that's a that's a, an obscene number, and it's just not tenable to me. Yeah, I, it doesn't a lot, work. A lot of guys might buy that box like thinking, "Oh, it's going to go up in price, and maybe I'll you know unload that that box like in a couple of years." How much more are you going to get for that? That's box? right. Exactly. That's right. Exactly. Who's going to pay like you know over three grand for the same box? Well, over three grand. If they have, <laughs> if they have five, six, seven years of age on it, does that mean the box is going to be six thousand dollars or five thousand dollars? Twenty four. Who the hell's paying that money? It's like a price of a used car. Yeah, you know. Uh, I mean, I, I say all this because it's genuinely surprised me. I did not expect this to be the case. I yeah. thought in the short term, there's always a sucker. There would be people who especially would especially for Bahike. Right. Yeah. Still people who would scoop these up at these outrageously inflated prices. And the fact that that's not what's happening already, I'm shocked. And I think that that spells uh, trouble. There, there's not much more to, they, they cannot, this isn't sustainable from what I see. Yeah. And we're talking about Cohiba. Let's talk about Trinidad for a second. You're getting a 12, a 12 count box of Trinidad Robustos. For over seven hundred dollars. Yeah, and and, and and I mean it's crazy. I, beat me up for this too. I like Trini as much as the next guy. Of course. I, like the 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 Fundy is the the Fundador is is a is an amazing cigar. It's undoubtedly a, a it's a superstar. I, that it goes without saying. The rest of the stuff, I really like actually like it better than Cohiba. Uh, beat me up for that too, but but it's. It's not that great. Yeah, I like agree. the Fundy's great, like super duper great. Yeah, age them. They're super. I, the whole thing. They're, they're a great cigar. There's no denying it whatsoever. But the other stuff, I mean, is good. But is it like, is a Colonialis like, 
you're gonna how much are you gonna pay for that? Right. I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna, gonna pay pay thirty, forty dollars for a colonial. I mean it's, it's, it's just a not 20, worth it. It's a twenty dollar stick. Yeah, right. absolutely. You know? Absolutely. It's I mean not, the Vigia, the Reyes is is like a twelve dollar stick. Vigia Colonial is twenty dollar stick. Esmeraldas, maybe a little more, twenty five. The Latrovas, mm. under thirty. Fundies, same thing. Yep. But they're like three times the price of yeah. that. Right now. Yeah, dude, like they're not seventy bucks those no, cigars. They're not. This is lunacy. I, I, I remember. Not, they're just. Not, they're really good, but they're not that good. I remember buying the the Fundadoras. If we want to talk about looking back, not that it adds any value here, but you know, I, I remember buying our boxes of Fundadoras for five ninety five. Yeah, that same mind. box now is is sixteen, seventeen, eighteen hundred dollars. Right. And keep in mind, we were buying what is it twenty four yeah, sticks 24 that comes pounds. in a Fundy box yep. for under six hundred bucks. Right yep. now. You can buy some of these, the Vigia, some of these others, 12 sticks for more than yep. we paid for that box of Fundy. And a Fundy is a pretty rare cigar. Even in regular production, I'd argue it's right behind the Sir Winston in how often it comes up. It just doesn't. Well, you know, and, where the and Esmeralda and, and some the of these old other. prices, they would come down right away. Maybe yeah. they still would. I don't know. But uh, that's a special cigar. But, but. The rest of it is is they're very good. They, they're, I mean, the construction, the way everything, you know, they're they're, they're rolled perfectly. You never you never get inconsistencies really in with them. They're, they're very good. They do a good job. So, but who knows, man? Yeah, I mean, who knows when the prices will come down? I mean, yeah. if the, if the cigars are going to stay like this, if they're going to sit on the shelves, they're going to have to make a decision. Well, I think Habanos, though, the thing about it that Habanos, the problem they have is that a lot of these European retailers, especially the La Casa del Habano, you know, uh, Habano specialists and whatnot, their shelves are still empty. You know, so it's like, it's almost like they're putting their European LCDHs out of business. These guys are having to stock New World cigars in an LCDH in Europe, in Spain. You're going in and, you know, they don't even have cigars there. The shelves are empty. I saw pictures of two or three LCDHs in the last two weeks the shelves are empty, and they have leagues. Because they're not getting out allocation? They don't, they don't have allocation. Habanos is not giving them allocation because they don't have it. So they're kind of screwing all ends of their, 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 their retail chain. Well, because the general rule that I – how I understood it was, was, you know, if you were an LCDH, the more standard production cigars that you were able to move, the more allocation you would get for limitadas and regionals which you want on the shelves, which yep. people, because people, it brings people into the store. They look good from a retail perspective and people want variety and you can sell them. They, you, you know, you can sell them as singles out of an LCDH and all that. And people come in and there's a lounge, whatever, and you can smoke, you can, people come in and buy singles, but, and that's how those, the gray market would receive out the back door, yep. I, you know, of these LCDHs, well, get, I need to move the standard production stuff that everyone, when they look at a D4 or a Monty 2 and they go, I just, like the average European person is just like, that's an everyday cigar. It's like us walking into JR Cigars and looking at an Arturo Fuente. It's kind of to a European. Totally. So they're like, let's just move this stuff. So, yeah, so we that's can how get, I have gets so, it so in Terminal. Can, right, and, yeah. and all those places. So yeah. we can, so, that, so they can get more allocation for regionals and limitadas, which is, positions their store with more variety where they have a you know so that's how that worked but i don't know how 
it's working now and why these shelves are empty, you're saying, I don't know, or at a lot of these places, I don't know why that is and why they're not getting allocation. Because they still they me. still have a significant, uh, they are a backlog of, of product that is on order that just has not been delivered to these oh. LCDHs. Well, yeah. You know, and I, I would bet that there's going to be a lot of LCDHs in Europe that are completely closed up over the next, you know, 18 to 24 months because they're just not getting product. No, I wouldn't be surprised at all. You know, it's, 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 it's wild, man. So are, it's interesting. So I guess they're just giving, I don't know why that's happening, but I don't know enough about the distribution dynamics really. Yeah. I don't know. Pacific cigars getting more allocation to Europe, to Asia. I don't know. I would think that to your point there, I'll give you an example. Uh, Friends of Abanos, you know, we, we get a lot of stuff there. I get a lot of stuff there. They've been getting a lot of Spanish stock that PCC has been acquiring age stuff. Right. That the Spaniards don't have stuff on the shelves. And, you know, PCC is being able, you know, able to acquire aged Spanish stock. Interesting. I don't know what's yeah. going on. Who knows? I don't know. Don't but know. Anyway, it's an interesting discussion. Can we talk about uh, Asia for a second? Yeah. Ha- have any of the lizards been to Japan? I yeah. have not. I have. Um, my wife, my wife lived have? there for a while. Okay. Have you smoked cigars there? No. All right, so I I don't know why, but my impression I, Japan's on my list at some point. I I would like to visit. I have this impression. I mean, I I view Japanese society as like a very rule oriented, like very organized society, uh, which for me is probably not conducive to a lot of cigar smoking. The men hump Pikachu dolls. And shit like that. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. They marry like dolls and everything. That's a real thing. You know that, right? We can visit this after, but that's a real thing. What bonsai do you, you think I'm kidding? <laughs> No, they marry real dolls and have like relationships with the inanimate objects. I'm just saying. Oh boy. Okay, it's true. Well, so on, on Japan, <laughs> how does that help your point? So for some reason, I have this impression that it would not be a very cigar friendly place. I was stunned. I had a friend who I haven't spoke to in years randomly send me a photo smoking a cigar with a beautiful glass of scotch. And I can see the cigar and it's a Monty too. So I know he's in either Europe or Asia. And, um, I asked him, like, where, where are you smoking? And he's in Tokyo at the Grand Hyatt and at the hotel. Wow. They have a cigar lounge. Now, why this is very notable to me, any of the big hotel chains, the Marriott, Bonvoy, they've owned a zillion hotels, the, the Hilton, Hyatt, all of that, they usually, especially because they're big corporate-owned entities, have extremely strict rules that there is no smoking anywhere on their grounds. I can't believe that at a Grand Hyatt in Tokyo, they have a cigar lounge. And I started searching a little bit of this. There are lots of cigar lounges in Tokyo. So Japan now has really skyrocketed for me on my list. Yeah, I'd love to go there. It sounds really cigar friendly. Yeah, I know the cigarette smoking's big there. A friend of mine works for Mitsubishi Foods, and um, he, uh, for 20 years now, and he's like in management there. And... um, He's dealing with Jap- Japanese management, Japanese culture. There's a whole lot of cultural things um, in terms of um, just how you greet people. Like interesting things. Um, uh, one of the th- <laughs> one of the stories he told me was, um, uh, and I hope I'm getting this right. He right. This is how it goes. So, like an exec, like let's say you're an executive at a company. Let's call it Mitsubishi, for example. And you go. Um, out to dinner 
the when you order a bottle of whatever it is, it must be finished under. It has to be completed. This is the story with my mother-in-law. Okay. When you have a meeting, they put a bottle on the table. It must be finished. It, it, it must Nothing be finished. can be left in the bottle. That's correct. And so they'll do this thing where they make like junior people drink and stuff like that. That's what I was saying. My mother-in-law, <laughs> she would have someone travel with her whose sole job it was was to kill the bottle at the end of the meeting. Right. And all these people would travel with like a deputy who was just literally there to drink. Right. Are these people hiring? I should have worked for you. Yeah. <laughs> right. I should have worked for your mother-in-law. Um, <laughs> and there's certain things like um, like how you greet people. I can't remember all the... Orgato. No, 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 no. It's, it's something that <laughs> would be thank you. Um, <laughs> and just how they work is different and everything. And I just oh, I always find the stories interesting. Um when when my friend mike will tell me these stories about all of his adventures because he has to go there all the time and he's dealing with these folks but um i do i remember him telling me though that their cigarettes are popular um to, to, so it doesn't surprise me really that J japan accommodates for some of this stuff i, I just say that because as weird as it is that people eat alone and like picks in like a cubicle and like eat like by themselves and then they like eat stuff that comes on a conveyor belt and they just pick it off like listening to their airpods and like don't want to be around other people it's, so there's very <laughs> that sounds like a dream to me peculiar yeah that i know because like people are awful me. including I, all of us i just say this <laughs> no they're amazing people I think. no no not them yeah, i mean yeah. people in general human beings are awful yeah. so i understand why <laughs> Why they're going for the Zen-like state when they want to be by themselves. Sounds I just amazing. say the reason this was so surprising to me is like you look at another, I, I don't want to ever say westernized or anything like that. They're like, they all have their own culture. But um, I think obviously the U.S. has a special relationship with Japan. I think uh, we obviously have a good relationship with Singapore. Obviously China's a different story. And so I just was stunned. You go to Singapore, who, which is actually a very westernized place. Very. Tons of expats, uh, expats there. Tons of cash. Tons of cash, which you would think <laughs> lends itself to cigars and fine spirits, wine, all this stuff. Right. And the cigar culture in Singapore is forcibly underground. I, I mean, know you about cannot that. smoke in Singapore in any indoor building, period. And they have a very strict society. I mean, littering, you're talking like a $1,000 oh, yeah. fine in Singapore. Oh, yeah. And so uh, for me, and I've, I've told the story in Singapore, there's a famous place that the professor at uh, one of our lounges has been to, another uh, friend of ours that we know from a former lounge um, has been to where you go and it's completely underground. It operates as a retail store. And then they tell you you can't smoke there. And you say, well, I'm not going to stand in 100-something degree weather in Singapore and smoke this outside. I want to smoke inside. And they say, now that I've told you Singapore law, should you choose, you may follow me to this room. And there is a room that says employees only on it in the back. And they have people there. And they have cameras out front to see if the police were to ever inspect the place. They would rush everyone out. Right. It's completely underground. Right. So I just expected a similar setup in a place like Japan. And I am shocked. And so happy to hear it's like completely out in the open, yeah. totally socially acceptable. Yeah, but, great. Just, just, but that's just, interesting because when I was in Singapore, me and my cousin, we were smoking outside. Where? In Singapore, somewhere. Oh, you're lucky. In a restaurant. You, you could get in but serious trouble. I was trouble. there in 2006. No, I was I'll tell absolutely you this. fine. I'll tell you this. In Singapore, on every sidewalk, if you want to smoke, even just walking down a street, there is a painted yellow box that by law, you must stand inside of to smoke. And if you think I'm kidding... The number of people you see, they all are crammed in shoulder to shoulder in this little box, 
puffing away on their cigarettes. It's ridiculous. <laughs> They're so strict. And the indoor thing is a real thing anywhere. There's no such thing in Singapore as I live in a smoking building. It's outlawed. It doesn't matter if you're a cigar lounge. It doesn't matter if you're um, uh, an apartment building. You cannot smoke indoors legally. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, Tokyo is is Tokyo is a whole different ball of wax because they party over there. My wife lived there for for a period of time, and uh, with her uncle who who's a sommelier and was was working over in in Japan, and and she stayed there. I think it was for an entire summer. So um, I don't know if that's living there, but it was a whole summer. Um, and uh, when she would walk down the street, the long blonde hair, five eleven. Uh, she said people would come up to her and just touch her hair, wow. <laughs> which I thought was, you know, because it was so odd, like where she was to just to even someone like that be walking around. And this is when she was in her 20s. Um, so this is a long time ago. Uh, but um, she enjoyed she enjoyed her time over there um, very, very, very much. Uh, I would they like to, to party in Tokyo, too. I mean, people that. They like to have a good time doing karaoke think, till 5 a.m. And I think we need a lizard trip there. We can well, go visit that, that Jiro. Be, we got to go to see the Jiro, Jiro sushi, sushi joint, place in the, in the, in nice the subway meal. station. Yeah. Oh. Have a cigar. I'm in. I would fly there cool just to go there, eat at Jiro, have a cigar and come home. I would do that flight. That's how much I want to go there. I'm into it. Well, I would do more. But. Well, I'm just saying if I could, <laughs> I would do anything to go there and have some of that sushi. It's, it's, yeah. it's a not, cool not Singapore, though. Yeah. Yeah. Take a trip yeah. to India, you know. Yeah. There's, uh, just like you said, there are a lot of cigar lounges apparently in hotels. Um, so I've heard. Yeah, there are. It's awesome. All right, boys. We're coming to the end here of the uh, Romeo and Julieta, Wide Churchill, and also our Artemis, um, which was, I think, a very good uh, wine pairing for this cigar. It, it definitely paired up nicely for me. What do you guys think of the, uh, of the pairing and the end of the cigar here as we come to close it up? I mean, I like the pairing in terms of the flavor profile. I don't disagree when Pagoda said in some ways it overpowered the cigar. Just this cigar, you know, I think left a lot of us wanting more. So yeah. I had hoped it would hold up better to a glass of wine. I don't think that's like a really aggressive or high bar for something to be able to hold up to. But um, it got a little lost sometimes, you know, as you were enjoying the wine. Yeah. I'll say, too, I, you know, to your point, it's making me want to have like a new world, like a an exclusivo or something like I'm kind of left wanting like i want to light something up right now you know so all right let's do a uh, formal liquor rating on the uh, stag's leap artemis pagoda you're first tonight you're up on uh, the artemis i think it was a nine okay i really enjoyed it excellent yeah senator i'm also at a nine i'm at an eight um i'm at a nine i think it's a 90 if you were to call it a 90 point wine I think that that's more that's probably probably even better than that. It's probably a ninety-two point wine. I mean, it's 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 very nice, and at that price point, at the price point, which is relatively reasonable, and given that it's consistent, nine. Okay. Formal liquor rating on this thing, boys, is an eight point eight. I think that's perfect. I think that's yeah. a perfect score for yeah. that one. The reason I say that, and I round it up a little bit to nine, is I think some of the other vintages I've had of this drink better than this does, honestly. I, I agree. Mean, the 16, phenomenal, but I also have 18. Uh, I was going to say, I had a case of 18 that was... And, and it's, it, is, it is a bit better. I would have rated that a nine. I would have so rated that a nine. I just, yeah. you know, we're not going to review every vintage. Like, I know 
nine times out of 10, their vintage is going to be pretty good. So I rounded up and gave it a nine, but I'm, I'm with you there, Giz. Excellent. 8.8. All right, boys, time for the formal lizard rating on the Romeo and Julieta wide Churchill. Rooster, you're up. So I'm going to give this a seven. Okay. I mean, uh, the, the other one that I had was much older. That would have scored definitely higher. But, I mean, uh, it, it, needs to, it needs to sit around for a while. Okay. Puba. Mm. I'll give it. I'll, I'll give it a seven. It's not a six. Okay. I'm going to give this an eight. I think for what it is. Uh, I think for the age. I think it performed uh, nicely. I think. I, I think an eight is. And for for me, by the way, I know Puba and I were the outliers here. I think it performed perfectly for me. So I'm an eight. All right. This is fun. Because uh, we're getting different ratings. I actually love when this happens. And I'm going to be the outlier tonight. Are you going six? I am absolutely giving this a six. Wow. I would not smoke one of these again. Wow. Okay. Oh, thank you, Senator. <laughs> <laughs> you know where this is going. I know it. Yeah, it's a six for me. Like, I'll never buy this. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I would chase a, uh, a box of these, but... If I had a couple tubos or if I had a couple singles, I think oh, that no. I would just to clarify, in. just to clarify, I would not even smoke another single. <laughs> All right, boys, the formal lizard rating on the Romeo and Julieta wide Churchill is a 6.8. I think, so I, think that's a, I think that's a fair score here. So, I mean, not to go through all of them, but to compare to other Robustos we've done on the podcast, I'm assuming that this is probably going to be one of the very few uh, Romeo and Julieta uh, regular productions that we do at least in the near term. So as far as Cuban Robustos go, this is definitely on the lower end. Why are we calling this a Robusto? It is technically a Robusto, even at 55. According to Cuban Cigar website. I mean, how you would never call a QD54 or a Partagas E2 a Robusto. Well, the E2 is much longer. Yeah, this is definitely a Robusto. Just by the length. So the yeah. ring gauge plays no role. 55 by 5 and an eighth, they're calling a Robusto. That's what Habana SSA calls it. They make That's why it's rules. a white Churchill. I don't know why you're calling it a Robusto. They make their own rules. <laughs> no, I'm just they make their own rules. We're, on the, we're at the mercy of Habana. They're, they're not Senator. your rules, Senator. There's, there's no rule book. <laughs> Senator writes the rules. <laughs> he writes the bill. Yeah, so I mean, again, as, as far as... Cubans of this size. How about how about we call it that? That's close better. to this size. Cubans close to this size. Uh, it's definitely on the lower end. Um, looking at some of the scores we've done, Maduro 1, Partagas 8.7. The D4, of course, we high rating 9.2. Uh, and, and, and the RAS, which we did early on in the podcast, was a 9.0. And we've done some others as well. Uh, but this is definitely the lowest so far of the Cuban Robusto. So, all right, boys. That's it. So an 8.8 on the Stag's Leap Artemis and a 6.8 on the Romeo and Julieta Y. Churchill. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to leave us a rating and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you have any comments, questions, if you want to reach out, say hello, tell us what you're smoking, email us, loungelizardspod, P-O-D, that's loungelizardspod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram, at Lounge Lizards Pod. We really appreciate your time, and we'll uh, we'll see you next week. Bye.